A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and with the Bob's Burgers movie finally hitting theaters this Memorial Day weekend, I thought now would be the perfect time to revisit my conversation with the one and only Kristen Schaal. I spoke to Kristen, who voices Louise Belcher on the long-running animated series last summer, and really had so much fun talking with her about her totally unique path to comedy success. We got into everything from her breakthrough role as Mel the Stalker on Flight of the Concords to her short-lived stint as a writer for South Park to her far more successful gig as senior women's correspondent on The Daily Show. At the time, Kristen was promoting her role in the Mysterious Benedict Society, which is returning to Disney Plus for its second season this fall. This really was such a great episode, so whether you missed it the first time around or just want to enjoy it again, Here's me with Kristen Schaal. I'm such a big fan of yours for so long, um, and uh, I'm just really excited to have you on the podcast. One thing that I was just, when I was kind of looking back at, you know, your career and everything, the thing that I could not believe is that this is the 10th anniversary year of Bob's Burgers premiering, which does not seem right to me that it's been 10 years. So how does it, how does it feel to you? Does it feel like it's been 10 years to you? No, I'm, I mean, time definitely is, a different um <laughs> i mean when i i can always go back to when we first started playing around with recording together in new york and we didn't know what what it was exactly because it was a demo so it was just us recording like five minute sketch and then we would go get beers um <laughs> at the bar that was and we did it like several times throughout like over six months a year because I kind of kept you know working with it and workshopping and um and then I'll my agent called and was like when were you going to tell us about this <laughs> I was like <laughs> why did you need to know you know it had nothing to do with you <laughs> it didn't seem like something they would they would need to know about no I was like I was just making a thing with my friends um <laughs> and I didn't even know what it was so they're like well it's going on box and i was like oh well lucky you (laughs) and lucky me and i still didn't know you know what that meant like anyways but that i remember i was in new york and what vividly remember like what it was like you know i was living with my now husband in an apartment in sin and (laughs) yeah just the those new york feelings right yeah how long has it been since you've lived in new york Probably since 2012 is when I moved, but I was there for 12 years. I moved in 2000, then I moved out in 2012. And um, at the beginning of, of, you know, 2012 to whatever, 16, it was definitely back and forth a lot more. But recently, since I had a kid and everything and the pandemic not yeah not a lot of back and forth yeah Mm-mm. so i mean your your expectations of what bob's burgers could be when it started i imagine don't quite line up with what it's become um <laughs> you know with i don't know how many episodes you've done now but it must be quite a quite a few it's, oh it's been 200 oh my god yeah but no i think like i had zero expectations i didn't 
know Lorne at all. Yeah, I kind of got the role because he, because Holly Schlesinger, who was booking Invite Them Up, which was Eugene Merman and Bobby Tisdale's show, worked with Lorne on, you know, home movies in Boston. And she was working with him again, creating Bob's Burgers. And she uh, recommended he come to a show a night that I was on, which is how I got the part. What do you think you did that night that caught his attention? I think I talked. I think I just have this voice. <laughs> it's funny. I had uh, I had Eugene on this podcast, sort of the very beginning of the pandemic, and we were talking about how uh, about Bob's Burgers and and how it was sort of changing everyone, kind of recording from their own places and everything. And we also talked about his voice and how his his voice as himself is is pretty different from uh, Gene, the character, and that it's his he's sort of demonstrate how he it's much higher as a because he's trying to you know be this little boy do you feel like do you feel like your voice is different from louise than your actual voice no no pretty similar Not, no yeah definitely <laughs> definitely like i've done other little kid characters and they people are like oh can you pitch it up just a little bit more um but i never really get that note for Lu- for louise but I, but it's not really about the sound of the voice to me as the, as the mindset that yeah, I can drop attitude. into for her. Yeah. Yeah. And how would you, des- <laughs> how would you describe that, that thing that you do to get into Louise? I guess I toughen up because <laughs> she's, she's tough and smart. You know, I guess, yeah, it's just, I just get a little tougher. I get more cynical, you know, I'm definitely like on the outside looking in and, um, and then of course it's the just saying the brilliant lines that the writers give me <laughs> in the circumstances. The thing that's kind of strange about a show like this that goes on for, you know, 10 years or, you know, The Simpsons that goes on for 30 years is that you're playing these characters who don't age, yet so much time is going by and you're sort of getting deeper into the character. So do you think about that at all? Like, does she change over time or does she stay the same? She doesn't change necessarily yeah she does change i mean i do think the characters they're not aging but they are evolving um yeah like you're we're getting to know layers of them and if we weren't oh god what a boring show i don't think it would be (laughs) as successful so the the louise i knew you know then in whatever year that was probably 2009 eight or nine or ten i think it premiered in 11 but it must have you were you were starting earlier years before yeah um she, you know, she was definitely, um, you know, voracious, loud, like, you know, she was, she, she was, you know, driving. Um, and now she's still doing those things, but they, but we've had these vulnerable moments with her that I really appreciate because they're so earned because they're used very sparingly because she will, you know, she's not going to let you go there. But when, but occasionally she can't help it. And I, and those are some of my favorite moments. Um, I think just in the relationships too, I think we've gotten to learn like more about how she feels about her family, um, her, her siblings and her parents and, and, and the other kids at her school and has become richer. Um, I heard that you, either are working on or just finished working on the the movie, the Bob's Burgers movie. Is that right? That is true. I think, well, I don't know if I'm wrapped, wrapped, but I, I've finished all of the voiceover work so far that it's been a very like 
difficult process because of the pandemic. Because Yeah, it was supposed to come out in 2020 originally, I think. It was. And we hadn't recorded the vocals yet. And I and the problem is is we were able to record the vocals for the Bob's TV series in our own homes, wherever we were. I I wasn't working in Canada, so I was hunkered down in closets just driving the engineers <laughs> crazy because yeah. the sound was never good. This is why I got this booth now because they insisted that I buy one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And actually is the best purchase ever. So, but for the movie, we recorded it on our homes and our in our mics in our homes, but for sound quality, it just wasn't going to cut it for like a big theater production. Right. So yeah, so, you had to so redo we had to all redo it. it. <laughs> oh man! And um, yeah, it's been quite grueling, and um, and also you know hard because we couldn't be together like we like. But still, it's I think it's going to be a fantastic film, and um, I'm excited for it. Did it feel different doing it as a movie versus as, as you know, you know, 30 minute episodes? Yeah, it felt it did feel different because it was, you know, a bigger process because there's also it's a musical. So there was lots of songs. Do you like singing? I do not like singing. Do you <laughs> like singing? I actually do like singing, uh, you know, karaoke. Oh, uh, yeah. you have um, a good I was voice? In, I was in an acapella group in college. You do. So. so you do. Where are you right now? Are you in L.A. or New York? Yeah, I'm, I'm in L.A. So I, w- I was in New York for many years and got to see you uh, perform comedy in New York a bunch. And then now, oh, I'm, uh, wow. now I'm out here. Yeah. And do you like it out in L.A.? Yeah, Sorry. I do. No, uh, do no. people listen to your stuff on your podcast? <laughs> I try to keep it like, you know, about the guest. I, I, I feel like I. Uh, <laughs> Are you going to edit this part out? Probably. Probably. Oh. <laughs> Maybe we'll keep a little bit of it in. But you're not like Mark Maron. No, <laughs> it's not about, about me. Him. It's not about me. Oh, my God. I was trying to. He was like interviewing someone very interesting. Like. Diane Keaton or Weist or one of the Dianes. And I had to sit through like half an hour, 40 minutes of him talking about himself. <laughs> yeah. And I think she was sitting there. Yeah, probably. Anyways. Yeah, I feel like you I, can uh, edit that out like or I'm not. The, I feel like I'm the, uh, the, I try to be the anti Mark Marin in that sense. I'm like, it's not about me, it's about the guest. Well, but you'll be surprised. You know, we should do one where I interview you. Yeah, that'd be fun. A, a special, a special. Okay. Laugh. I'll take you up on that next, next, um, yeah. But we, we've barely scratched the surface of you. Yes. Yes. There's so, there's so much. <laughs> so the other, uh, voiceover animation thing that I do want to ask you about before we move on, um, is Bojack Horseman, which I know you, you got a, uh, Emmy nomination for that performance as Sarah Lynn. And that's Bojack is just one of my all time favorite shows. I think it's so brilliant. Um, so I would love to hear what that experience is like, um, working on that show and it, did it feel is is the experience different working on that show from something like Bob's Burgers do you feel like or is it pretty similar or oh it's different it is I I concur with you or I feel the same it is my favorite one of my all-time favorite shows too it's so good I it is it's inspiring me I'm trying to make something and I realize that it's like oh every time I work on this show I'm trying to make I'm like oh that is so Bojack like I can't help it it's real. <laughs> yeah. it's like got under my skin it's so good it, yeah the experience was interesting like I I think I went in um and I think I probably did it without seeing it the first episode first season or whatever like I hadn't seen it like I knew I knew um Raphael from the scene, sort of, um, like we were doing a sketch around the pit, and like I, so I knew him, and then Lisa Hanawalt, I knew even better 
because she's the um, art designer, character creator artist, because she did, I wrote this book and she did the illustrations. She's just so, they're just both so, what a great combo. Anyways, so then I just knew I was playing, like she was easy to figure out, you know, um, a a teenage uh, washed up uh, star you know, we've all seen them um, everywhere. Like, uh, but then I started when it came out and I started watching se- seasons. And then when the characters started uh, evolving, like, they, like nobody's uh, untouched. It seems like every character's stone is turned, you know, to get underneath. And just a, it's just a story of analyzing depression in a way that I think hasn't been done before. Bojack. I don't like anything about me. Hey. None of this is me. These boobs aren't me. This house isn't me. We're not at your house right now. The only reason I wear this shirt is because some company paid me $8,000 to wear it. (laughs) And I don't even need the money. I just liked that someone still wanted me to wear their shirt. Hey, 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 it's okay. Everything's going to be okay. What am I supposed to do? I don't know what to do. Am I doomed? Are you doomed? Are we all doomed? No, no, calm down. Nobody is doomed. And I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to go to the planetarium. Really? It's so... It's so dark and so so brilliant, especially that episode that you that you got nominated for. I couldn't believe when I was reading about it that you didn't record with Will Arnett. I know it's just Bob or Raphael. I'm gonna call him Bob. You're totally doing it in isolation, isn't that? Why? I mean, it's wild when you listen to it that you know are just sort of doing it sort of on your own, and it's not. You know, I mean, that must be very odd for you as someone who comes from more of a you know improv sketch background which is really about collaboration to then be not doing the scene with the person who's in the scene yeah but the per like uh, you have to understand too with shows like with shows like bojack and last man on earth and almost a lot almost everything i've done the the main voice really is the creator so Raphael was acting with me in every scene and you know he was acting he's acting with will in every scene like he's not in the booth but he's on the other side and he's we're doing the scene together so he's he's so that that is the collaboration and then whatever he liked he's gonna use and turn around and use with will or whatever will did he's gonna turn around and try to use with me so so in that respect it did feel like we were creating something together but yeah without there was no there's no space in the booth we we recorded it (laughs) will couldn't even fit it was as big (laughs) as this one that's what they were using um but yeah it's uh it's yeah that that episode was great and i was very surprised to get nominated and i i realized that today actually someone wrote in a review for the Benedict show, they, they wrote Emmy nominated. Oh. And I was like, well, I guess I am. <laughs> That's it. I'm done. You only had to be nominated yeah. once. Now you're forever and you're, Emmy you're nominated. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now we just need you to win an Emmy and then you can be the Emmy winning. Yeah, that's I don't I think I've gotta be one of those uh <laughs> not quite cool enough, which is good because it'll keep me working keep under the radar. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm not gonna burn out because I never really burned up like (laughs) coming up Kristen looks back at the year that completely changed both her personal and professional life from landing her breakthrough role on HBO to getting fired from South Park 
to meeting her future husband and landing a gig on The Daily Show. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you're enjoying this episode and want to hear more, please make sure you are following The Last Laugh wherever you get your podcasts. For instance, if you love Bob's Burgers, you are definitely going to want to check out the interviews I've done with Eugene Merman, Sarah Silverman, and a bunch of other comedians who have lent their voices to that show. By subscribing to The Last Laugh, you can listen to those episodes and everything else from our free archive, and you'll be the first to hear new episodes when they drop every Tuesday. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how much you love the show and who you want to hear next. Now, back to Kristen Schaal. So I think, you know, for a lot of people, myself included, uh, the first time that I really became aware of you on TV was Flight of the Concords, um, which was just another of my favorite shows. And I think it just kind of hit for me at the exact right moment when I was living in New York. And it just felt like this very cool New York show with a lot of really funny people on it. Um, where were you in your comedy career life when, when that show came along? Oh, I was um, very unknown. Um, I'd done like maybe a couple Wendy's commercials that were helping pay off my student loans, still <laughs> waiting tables at Planet Hollywood or the other one, Times Square and Bluefin. Oh, yeah, I used to go there. You went to Bluefin? <laughs> yeah, because I used to work in Times Square. It's good. The food's good. Yeah, I don't know if it's bad. still, but it was good. Yeah, I worked there. Actually, Amy Schumer also worked there at the same time. And it was fun. Yeah, it was. No, it wasn't fun. It was fun and it wasn't fun. <laughs> like I was missing a lot of shifts because I was trying to do stand up, too. So it was a, I would do the lunch shift so I could do stand up at night. But then the lunch shift, you'd make like 30 bucks. It's like, what? How do how do you do it? You know, that's not that's that's not enough. Not enough. But <laughs> but that's where I was. And I re, and I remember I just got into the like the Concords were com this me. This is boring, but they were. I was working at Bluefin and I was re I'd always read time out to the comedy section to see like what was happening. And everyone was raving about the flight of the Concords where they were coming to do a concert. And I was like, this seems like I got to go. And um seems like a thing. And no one would cover my shift. Aww. So I was just sitting in the kitchen, like <laughs> staring at their picture being like, 
damn it. I could um, <laughs> imagining what it must be like. <laughs> yeah, it must be good. And so I never saw them That's funny. when I got that gig. Um, but I got it because I broke, I got an audition to be in the Aspen Comedy Festival. And because of that, I got to do, I hosted the Alternative Night in Aspen and then that led to them showing my video to the Fly the Concords who were developing the show at the time. And I got to do it. So that's where I was. So it was a huge, huge uh, door swung open. Oh, hey, guys. Hey, Mo. Hey, Mo. hey whoa. It's crazy meeting you here, huh? Well, outside of the house. <laughs> yeah, Brett. You are so funny. I love your sense of humor. What are you doing down, Mr. Lee Steerwell? Jogging. Hey, where were you guys on Tuesday? I went to your gig. I, I was at the aquarium for hours, just waiting. They wouldn't let me stay after 1 a.m., but um, well, what time did you guys play? It was canceled. Oh, that sucks. It's bullshit. Well, the fish were beautiful. They were breeding. It's mating season, and I, I saw fish make love. I don't think we want to hear that. Oh, it's really interesting. Actually, you know, quite a few species of fish require two or more sexual partners. Where's it going now, Mel? Where? Um, home. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you just just came from home? Yeah, we are just popping out for a second. And then um, that's all we were going to do, just get some air. Mm. Oh, uh, we always have such a fun time when we're hanging out together. Awesome. And then all of a sudden you're on HBO and you must be getting recognized in a different kind of way, right? Yeah. It was all of a sudden I was like on the, a faster escalator. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did it really lead to things that to other things in your career, do you think? Is that what opened doors for you in a new way? Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I would credit that to the to starting everything. I mean, I, well, it's hard to say, right? Like <laughs> sliding doors. Like I, Like I would say that, but at the same time, like, there was, after Concord, like, I didn't go on to, to keep work. Like, you know, I didn't make move. I, that was sort of, I sort of, like, it kind of stalled. In a, but I still kept getting, like, little bites here and there. But, um, like, I never was on a TV show regular again until Last Man on Earth. And that was probably 10 years later. Um, so would I have gotten last man on earth 10 years later? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, you know, I mean, not, I don't know, but I was doing the same things that I would have been doing. And that, that was stand up, like just doing the stand up, uh, all the time. <laughs> did working in TV get in the way of doing stand up at all? Or did you, were you able to keep oh, doing yeah. it in the same way? Oh yeah, it gets in the way a hundred. It gets in the way so pleasantly yeah. that I <laughs> I wanted it to. I wanted to be an actor. I think more than a stand-up, which is hard to say to you on this podcast. But in my dreams, like I went to college for acting. I did plays. You know, like stand-up all of a sudden became a thing where. I could be on a stage performing and I would have total control over when I could do it as opposed to waiting for this industry to to invite me in, which wasn't happening. And then I really loved it. I love stand-up and I'd love to get back back into it. But um, working, uh, acting is is uh, such a joy. You know, it's just, it, and, and also it's, um, 
little bit less pressure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you're, you're not in, if you're not in total control, you're just sort of uh, it's up to somebody else to to make it great, and you're kind of. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, a collaboration. Like we were saying, it's it's everybody has plays a role in making a show, and whether the show, yes, there's there's usually a head a head dude, unfortunately, unless you're like Tina Fey or what, but there, it's so duty like pushing it for you know you're following, but it's uh you know if the it's the editor is going to decide at the end of the day, like you don't have to decide, you just go and and you get to do it once too, you get to do it one time. And sometimes I get sad because the scene is so fun that after like a few takes, they're like, we got it. And I'm just like, like, no, it's gone for eternity. Like, I don't get to be in this incredible scene with the set and the costume and the actors and and it's gone for eternity. But there's also such joy in that. Whereas stand up, it's like, let's just keep honing this. Let's keep honing this, which is so I again, I don't want to shit on stand up on this comedy uh, podcast. But uh, but right now I I'm finding acting to be um, such a privilege, and and I and I and stand up to be so elusive to me because I'm having um, a writer's block with it that's been going like at least five years, maybe ten. I don't know. It's been going for, for since I left New York. It's been really hard for me to um, figure out what's funny for me to do on stage. Um, I started sort of figuring it out before the pandemic <laughs> and, and I don't know how got far. interrupted. <laughs> then it got interrupted. And then that, and then I, and then I was doing some acting jobs. And so I don't know. Talking about sliding doors and, and acting, I, I did read that you, that flight of the Concords may have prevented you from getting a more regular role on Mad Men. Yeah. HBO said I couldn't do Mad Men, even though you're in, the, um, you're in the pilot, but then I'm in the pilot. Disappear. I disappear. They asked, they asked for me to do more shows, and um, they uh, and HBO said no, which is a little tricky because they all, well, well, we won't get it. It's all <laughs> water under the bridge. Well, well, I wasn't, I wasn't. I, they were paying me for season one as a day player, uh, even though I was in every episode. Yeah. So well, I can't imagine Concord's had the highest budget. They did not. They did not. That, yeah. So whatever, it got done. But but it's all good because I don't really see where the phone booth operator would go. <laughs> like, I think we were, I was watching a little bit of season one after my part and they did revisit the phone booth and not a lot went down in there. Also, uh, yeah. Cause we filmed Mad Men pilot, the pilot. Um, and then that took like a year before they went to series. Cause I believe Matt Weiner was finishing the Sopranos before he could start. So in that year, I got the Concords, um, which was a much better gig. Much better gig. And I could just stand out about Mad Men. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Well, maybe. I don't know. No, who knows? I I think they had their main characters (laughs) solidly set. Um, I also saw that that same year you wrote for South Park, which I didn't know. Um, <laughs> what right. was what was that experience like? Go, going dropping into that world. I totally forgot. Yeah, I did that. God, that was <laughs> a crazy. This was a crazy year uh, when everything was happening because I got Flight of the Concords and it was premiering. But while it was premiering, I was doing my sh- one woman show in Edinburgh. Um, Edinburgh Comedy Festival, which is a month long. So it started premiering in August. I started doing the comedy festival. I didn't have internet. 
I didn't really know how the show was doing overseas because uh, it wasn't playing in the UK. So I would check, I would check it. Uh, sometimes I would go into a computer cafe <laughs> and I was, and I would look a little bit, but I didn't really know how. No social media. You know what? Hey, that was probably. Yeah, that's probably great. <laughs> and while I was there also, the South Park team had seen the Penelope Princess of Pets web videos that Kurt and I made. And I got, I got asked to be a writer on the show. I was like, yeah. <laughs> so I had to go from Edinburgh somehow. Oh, in the meantime, and then my cousin, this, I don't know, do what my cousin, John Henry died. He lived in Chelsea and he, and he had an accident in his home. So I was dealing with so much. Uh, and then I remember I got off the plane. I was, I had to stop off in New York to go to my cousin's funeral for a day and then get back on a plane and fly to Los Angeles to do South Park. And while I was going through the airport, someone recognized me from Flight of the Concords, but I was also like mourning for my cousin and I didn't know how to handle fame yeah. or that. Most it was so much. You hadn't been recognized before that, I'm sure. Never, yeah. never. So I was like, uh, 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 uh. like it was, it it's was kinda, They thought big... you were your character probably. <laughs> exactly. It was everything. And then I got to, to South Park, the South Park offices, and that was, I mean, <laughs> I was such a, I mean, I'm, I am a South Park fan. I, I think South Park is one of the most honestly underrated cultural shows. <laughs> like, I think people have taken it for granted at this point. Um, but it is uh, such a force. Um Anyways, and I grew up in Colorado. I went to school at the University of Colorado for a year. So the whole thing of, you know, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, like getting kicked out of film school, well, Trey did. And then like uh, that they made that, um, what was the movie they the made? Christmas special that they, or? No, they made, Trey, Trey Parker made this movie about um, Cannibal. It was called Cannibal, the musical um, while he was in um, at CU, which is why he got kicked out because he was making this really incredible movie for, you know, for its time um, instead of uh, going to class. <laughs> Anyways, so I was in awe. Um, Brad Neely was there and he kind of became my buddy, my confidant. And I didn't last long. I was there for like a month and I, I was told I got a warning that I was talking too much. Um <laughs> I was trouble. pitching too much. <laughs> I was pitching too much. So I've never, I'd never been in a writer's room before. So I was just like, let me earn my, mm -hmm. my yeah. seat, you know? And I was just like, how about this? How about this? How about this? How about this? And that's not how it works. You know, you, you save your pitches, you know, You're you go with where the room is going. Yeah. I wasn't going where the room was going. Cause as I, at that time too, South Park was doing a ton of like, movie parodies and i my movie knowledge is not uh good so <laughs> you know they were like it'll be like this movie or whatever i don't even remember what it was and i was like i couldn't go there so i just kept pitching another thing you know and looking back yeah let me go jesus like <laughs> i did not i could do a writer's room now just for everybody listening yeah <laughs> i'm i could do it now but i was too nervous and too excited to be in there um is there anything but i did you, last a month <laughs> is there anything that you pitched that actually got on the show i don't remember there was a couple of things but i can't remember specifically and i would be afraid if i said it 
they'd be like, no, <laughs> no one cares. But there was a couple things where I was like, oh, I think that was my idea, actually. <laughs> <laughs> have you uh, have you reconciled with the with Matt and Trey? Or are you uh, is there still bad blood there? Yeah, I mean, when I no, no, it's all good. When I got the call that I'd been let go, it was devastating. I was staying at Tig Nataro had this like garage that she turned into a little guest house that I was crashing in. That sounds fun. But like. Yeah, it was fun, but like covering rent was a little tough. So I was like, Tig, <laughs> I just got fired. Do I have to cover the rent? She was like, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, and I I was just, oh, I was devastated. But I remember I talked to James Bobin the day I got fired. We had margaritas. And James Bobin is the co-creator of Concord's. And he was like, ah, fuck it. Yeah, it was a good, it was a good advice. It's like, you're going to get fired. You're going to get hired. Like, it's fine. And then, um, and then I flew home and then I met, she's, this year was incredible. I flew home and then I met my husband on this adult swim show called Snake and Bacon that he was executive producing. He asked me on a date. So a lot was shifting. Yeah, big year. Big year. And uh, to answer your question, a few years down the road, when Comedy Central was having the Comedy Awards, do you remember that? Vaguely, it's, I don't, it didn't it last. Was, it, yeah, maybe two times, maybe three, but definitely twice. Uh, incredible, incredible! Like you, like everyone was there. And at one point, I was, I think, I was presenting something, and I and Matt and Trey were probably getting an award. And we like crossed each other in the wings and they re- they're like, Hey, Hey, like they recognized me. And I was like, Hey dudes, you know, and I was like, congratulations. And they were like, thanks. Like it was very friendly yeah, and warm. It all worked out for everybody. It's fine. Yeah. I, I'm a root for them. Everything they do is so good. Yeah. Um, so your, your husband, um, you have collaborated with a bunch over the years, right? Including on the on the Daily Show, right? Yes, where we are a, a collaborative team. Um, yeah. So he was he was working at some point. He he started working at the Daily Show, and then you started contributing there. Or how did that all kind of happen? So that went down. So we started dating, um, and this was probably around two thousand eight. So we were dating, and it was a time where the election was happening and um, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton were competing for the Democratic nomination. And I was certain that if Hillary Clinton didn't get the nomination, then we probably wouldn't have a female president for another hundred years. So far, I haven't been wrong. Yeah, you were right. And so I made, I was doing this stand-up where probably at the moon Moonworks, where I <laughs> I I hold up a old a video camera, which was not that old at the time, <laughs> but old one, handheld, and I do this thing where I'm making a time capsule for the future president of the United, future female president of the United States, which would be in like I think it, I says 230 years or something like that. And so Rich saw it and he's like, that's, that's a good, that's good. And he pitched it to Jon Stewart and Jon Stewart's like, let's do this. So he and I wrote it together and I got to do it on the show. And after that, um, Jon Stewart said, you are in charge of women's issues. Yeah. You were the senior women's issues correspondent, I believe. (laughs) Which I was like, I was like, oh, I guess I I wanted to be a regular on there, but that meant that I would 
rarely, rarely be on there because there's not a lot of women's issues that make the news, um, which is uh, the state so, of So it was reality. a little bit of a double-edged sword being the women's issues correspondent? Yeah, at the time I was bummed because I was like, okay, so I would just constantly be like scanning the news. Like, what's when are women's issues coming up in the news? Like, nobody, especially back then, was talking about it. But sometimes they would. And, and I, I, you know, I did the show, I don't know, like, I did count them, like, what, 10, 13 times? I don't know. I love good over, amount. Over several years, too. Several years. Um, and so, and a lot of those pieces, I'm so I'm so proud of because yeah. is there one that stands out in your unique? Is there one that stands out <laughs> in your memory as sort of the the one that you're most proud of? Yeah, this one I I say um, it happened. Uh, they were trying to the Republicans were trying to mess with the Affordable Care Act, and and part of the way they were doing that is there's already a rule that you can't have federal funding of abortion, right? But but there was a clause in the Affordable Care Act. I'm sorry, I might not be getting this perfectly, but where if you were um, raped, you know, if it was incest or whatever, then that would be covered on the, under the Affordable Care Act. And they were pushing against that. So I did a piece where I'm like, I don't remember what, but I'm, I'm, I don't even remember what the piece was, but it was just like, you could even just say, just saying it. It's like, what the fuck? You know, and just saying it out loud and it made TV so people could actually watch it and see it and take it in in a way that they might have glossed over. And I don't know. I don't think it's because of the piece, but the next it aired that night and the next day they took the language out. So now if you were raped, <laughs> we covered. They took it out. That being said, that being said, um, they put it back in again like a couple weeks later. So <laughs> <laughs> but briefly, you may have been responsible briefly, for, you know, some really some, some good stuff. <laughs> it felt it felt like it felt like for what for one second, maybe comedy was a force of more than a laugh. For more on the legislative push to clarify rape, we're joined by Daily Show senior women's issues correspondent Kristen Shaw. Kristen, thanks for joining us. By proposing this legislation, Republicans are finally closing the glaring rape loophole in our healthcare system. <laughs> You'd be surprised how many drugged, underaged, or mentally handicapped young women have been gaming the system. <laughs> Sorry, ladies, the free abortion ride is over. No, I think John John Stewart always would talk about how the most effective pieces on that show were when the correspondent really felt strongly about you know what the issue was that's exactly what he said in the room when we were working on it together he was like i'm angry and i'm like i'm fucking mad he's like this is good <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's what he's looking for <laughs> yeah um yeah so that's how that's how the daily show went down yeah um so you mentioned james bobin uh we've mentioned him a couple times that he uh was your director on flight of the concords and now you're uh, reunited with him on this new show the mysterious benedict society so was that uh was that part of the appeal for you to to reunite with with james oh yeah i mean like of course i always wonder is that how i got the job <laughs> um i think it helped definitely helped yeah, I mean, unless he was like, no, no, <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> he had to be convinced. Yeah, uh, no, it was great. I mean, he's such a um, wonderful, sweet, 
funny and talented dude. And he's British, and uh, I don't see him as much as I'd like. But when I do, I I feel it feels like coming home. And uh, it, working on the show, of course, was a different experience because, like, we shot that show at the end of August of 2020, and we were the first. We were kind of the first production, like besides like Jurassic Park, to like like venture into the pandemic and yeah. work. And it's a big production too. I mean, it's, and it's yeah. a big production. So I didn't get to see his face, hug him, get a drink with him, catch up. But it, but I did feel very. Um, I just there's so much trust in someone you've worked with before. So it was I was I was in a good place on the show having him at the home. And if any child is caught cheating, they will be executed. Excused. Will be excused. This test is going to be long and it's going to be difficult. Was I not clear about the talking? Oh, I, I just groaned. Well, and now you've spoken again. You are excused. I do think it's funny, you know, that you you started out in this very sort of alternative experimental comedy space, and you are you've made now a lot of content for children um, between this and Toy Story and you know other things. Did you ever think that that was uh, something that you would be doing in your career? Is that something you wanted to do? Yeah, I mean, even like in college, and when I got out of college, I did a children's theater group, and in New York, it was called the Striking Biking Story Pirates, and I. Me and my other friends founded it, and we and we did stories that kids wrote, and we turned them into sketches and songs and did it for kids Saturday mornings. They would come to the drama bookshop in the basement, and we would perform them, and it was really fun. So always, yeah, I guess I've always, um, I mean, also with the with my voice, like I, I it lends itself <laughs> it appeals to, to children. It appeals to kids. So, and kid stuff is really fun. Like I, you know, I used to be a lot racier in my early stand-up days. And now I'm like, I don't know, man. I, you know, like I did a show where the word fuck was used. Can we say fuck? Yeah, we can say whatever the you word want. Yeah. fuck was used in the, a couple of the lines. And I was like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> is fuck even funny anymore? Like, <laughs> like can we explore that? Like, I, I just, I, and I know it's my prude sides coming out and it's all because of my mom. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I also don't know. I think like, I think there's something about if you can make it funny for kids and adults. Whoo, damn. Do you feel like. Uh, well, then you're Jim Gaffigan. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Do you, how do you approach bringing your own sort of brand of humor to something that is aimed at kids? Do you do you approach it any differently or how do you think about it? Oh, no, I don't approach it any different. I don't like lower it or you just put your all into everything because who cares what it is? Like kids shows. Here's the thing. If, <laughs> kids shows are, are my they're going to be my future bread and butter. OK, like <laughs> I know that. I'm gonna need them. I'm gonna need them to like me, and I want them. <laughs> I want them to put me in their shows. Some of them are gonna grow up, and they're gonna be like, "Oh, I I loved her as a kid. Ah, oh, she could play the grandma." <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's my hope. That's that's uh, what you're looking for. Yeah, yeah. But and and then uh, as a mom, I I watch all the shows with my with with Ruby, and like I'm judging you guys. <laughs> <laughs> If you're not like committed and there's a couple of you that are just folding it in, I hear you. But most of most most people are like 
are like do, doing good work. Um, the one other thing that I feel like we have to hit before we get to the end here is um, I think if there's one thing that that people that comedy fans know about you or think of when they think of you, it's Kristen Schaal as a horse, which has become this sort of weirdly iconic and, you know, much talked about bit with you and Kurt Brownler. And I'm I'm curious if you could just kind of give the the short version story of behind Kristen Shaw as a horse and, and where it came from and, and how you ended up doing it. Oh, Kristen Shaw is a horse. Kristen Shaw is a horse. Well, look at her dance like a look at her go like a look at her dance like a horse. Oh, Kristen Shaw is a horse. Kristen Shaw is a horse. Well, look at her dance like a look at her go like a look at her dance like a horse. Oh, Kristen Shaw is a horse. Kristen Shaw is a horse. Well, look at her dance like a look at her go like a look at her dance like a horse. Oh, Kristen Charles is a horse. Kristen Charles is a horse. Well, look at her dance like a look at her go like a look at her dance like a horse. I'll never forget it. We were watching a movie. I won't say which one because one of our friends made it. <laughs> but we didn't like it. Like it was boring and long. And we find, it was in the day. We were watching like a matinee or whatever. And we walked outside and we both looked at each other like, woof, you know. <laughs> I was like, I know. And then I was like, ugh, at least we're done. And I was trying to shake off the movie, right? So I started doing this dance down the street <laughs> in Brooklyn. Like I was doing this, the dance, you know, and I just, it just came out of me from having to sit still. And, <laughs> and, um, and then he started singing that. He came up with the words and singing it. And I don't even know when we decided to do that on stage maybe we're like let's do that on stage like in the moment but that's how it happened and then it and then it turned into you know how long could we go for and he that sketch is driven completely by kurt all of the 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 genius of it really is him and and if you're laughing the hardest it's because he's doing it the longest and really sacrificing his vocal cords. <laughs> do you remember how it went the first time you tried it? Well, it went good, I guess, because yeah, we did it. We're like, it. let's do it more. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely probably did it at Hot Tub. But yeah, I remember it was a, lo a lot of fun. And I think we tied it into, well, because we added a sketch. We buried it in the sketch about how we were pitching a show about a um, a courthouse uh, for animals. <laughs> <laughs> if you remember, it it was a kid's show about learning the law through a courthouse made up entirely of animals. And so I don't know, that had some funny bits in it. And then we went into it. Into it and then at the end, um, I say, and that's how a bill becomes a law. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So just to end here, I want to do our, our very quick speed round. Um, so this podcast is called The Last Laugh. And so I want to do the first laugh, which is some a series of firsts. So the, do you remember the first piece of comedy that made you laugh really hard uh, as a kid or growing up or something that really connected with you? Oh, man. Or even the first thing that comes to mind. I mean, like, as soon as you say kid laugh, I, I go to like the Muppets take Manhattan, but I can't remember a specific joke. I also really liked the Police Academy movies. <laughs> yeah, the sound effects. The se the second one, especially. <laughs> yeah, Michael Winslow, but also, you know, Bobcat Goldthwait was kind of like shining a light. Who knew I'd get to meet him? Oh, My yeah. God, right? He's incredible. Like, what a small world. So I'll just leave it there. You're so well known for your voice, as we've established. What What's the first time that you knew your voice was funny or unique or or something that people 
wanted to hear more of? Well, yeah, I knew my voice was different. I don't remember exactly the the event, but I just remember driving home in the car and someone had probably said something about my voice and I might have been in junior high or high school. And I was like, what do they mean? Like, what's wrong with my voice? You know, and my mom was like, you just have a different voice. You know, it was like <laughs> one of those things where I was like, oh, no. You know, like, ah, because uh, um, cause it's just obviously it's this voice. Like, I'm not pushing. Like, yeah. it's doing. People it think didn't, that you're, you're, you're doing it, but you're not. Yeah. It just didn't change. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I and then when I went to for some reason, the, the, the it, it happened more when I left Colorado, probably because everyone in Colorado I was around like knew me. I left Colorado and then I got to like, um, I was going to school at Northwestern in Evanston, Illinois. I transferred there and every person that I came in was like, oh, your voice, your voice, your voice, your voice. And not in a good way. Like, it, like they did it. Like it was being like pointed to as like, ooh. And then like, and then the speech, I had to take a, a speech class, like voice class, because I was in the acting program. And the the voice teacher, like, I went in to register, and she's like, oh, there's nothing we can do for you. Oh, no. Like, you can't. You are not going to make it. That voice is atrocious. Oh, man. She said that. Wow. Um, yeah. She was wrong. Yeah, she was. But, yeah, it, yeah and now I feel like, well, who knows now, because I don't see anybody anymore because of the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's it's worked out. Your your voice has done very well for you. I'd say it does. Thank you, Michael. I say too. It it is it is a special. It is special, and I do treasure it. But I also get very surprised. I think what surprises me the most, like when I watch a live action thing I've done, like last minute, anything, anything in my head, you know, and probably in your head too. Your voice sounds different. It's never fun listening to yourself, really. No. And when you see it come out of your, when you were, when I was acting that scene and doing it, like I was acting it and the voice coming out that I was using was different. And then it's this voice (laughs) coming out of me on my face on screen. That's, that's always uh, jarring. And I don't, I don't know if that'll, if I'll ever get used to that. Do you not have that experience with animation? Does it feel... No, animation, I'm safe because it's, uh, you know, it's it's a different uh, form. So so it's not, I don't know. And and also it's like when I'm doing, I, yeah, it's just a different form. And also it's like Louise, that's Louise now. So it's like, there she is. But for when it's the TV shows, they're a little bit newer. So I'm like, oh, 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 well. <laughs> what are you going to do? The speech teacher was right. It's an atrocious voice. <laughs> Do you remember the first joke or bit that you did as a stand-up that really worked and connected and, you know, made you sort of think that you, you could keep going? I think, I don't remember the first joke. I had a lots of failed ones, but I think the one that really landed me, like even the audition for everything was where I would eat donuts. I said I had an audition. This is the thing. All of my stand-up is just me <laughs> yeah. trying to act it on stage. So yeah, if you like really look at it, I'm doing little plays. I'm trying to be an actress in my, my whole career. So um, anyways, I said I had an audition for Law & Order. Um, S, S, U, SVU. SVU. Yeah. 
and um and it was for the chubby grocer and um i just want to do it for you now i'm so nervous so i would <laughs> and i'm like oh and i have a prop and it was either donut chocolate donuts with a lot of frosting or cake chocolate cake with a lot of frosting and then i would everyone knows law and order so well that i didn't even say the other lines of the audition i was just responding to the detectives <laughs> and and sh- and getting more despondent because my friend had been murdered yeah. and i was just shoving donuts in my mouth and that it always killed and so i that was the one that got me like it got me to do uh the aspen comedy festival and i also auditioned for the david letterman show with it and the guy said uh oh, david doesn't like props which <laughs> You know what? It's killed. So I think he was wrong. <laughs> I didn't know they had a no prop rule on uh, on Letterman. Yeah, apparently the guy who does the pet tricks yeah. or whatever. <laughs> um. Anyways, whatever. It it was all uh, it it worked out. Well, thank you so much. Um, you are great. You, you are you're great at podcasts. You should do more of them. Well, no, because because then <laughs> I'm probably gonna be like, and then I, what? Oh shit! What did I say? What did I say? And then I'll have to call call you. Oh, and be like, no, I don't think you said anything. That is, uh... This is perfect timing because the husband and kid just came back with donuts and coffee. Oh, is your coffee and donuts here? Perfect. You should come over. Yeah. All right. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Kristen Schaal. And we will be back with an all new episode next week. The Bob's Burgers movie is playing in theaters now, so definitely check that out if you're able to. If you want to support The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at LastLaughPod on Instagram where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes and see who is coming up next week on the show. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.